As we prepare to listen to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, a letter that, that actually deals with a lot of the issues that not only were true in the ancient church, but also in the modern church. You know, I want to kind of bring something out because I think a lot of times when we read letter, letters of scripture, especially from Paul, we're often, well, imagine this, you're in your attic and you come across a letter from somebody uh, that is written in response to a tragedy or something that's happened. You don't really know quite well who wrote it and you don't really know why they wrote it. You don't really get to see the first letter. But instead, all you get to see is the response. And, and I think that's something of what happens when we read Paul's letter to the Corinthians. There's something going on in this church at Corinth that's ripping the church apart. And Paul recognizes it. And throughout the first letter, he's really trying to address all of these divisions. And in doing so, we hear these words. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot were to say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our most respectable members don't need this. But God has arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member. That there may be no dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together in it. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? 
Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greatest, greater gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. So as I mentioned in the beginning of the scripture, I want to take you back to ancient Corinth and, and really give you an idea of what Paul's confronting. So I want you to imagine you're looking at that screen and there's a map of Greece. Just get that in your minds. And in that map of Greece, you, you kind of see Greece comes down kind of like an arm into the Mediterranean. And there's the northern part, which is about two-thirds of Greece. And, and then there's a southern part that's about one-third. It's kind of like a hand or a fist. And what connects the two is this little isthmus. It's only five miles wide. And on either side of it are inlets that come in on one side about 20 miles, the other side about 30 miles. That's where Corinth sat. And it was an important port in the ancient Roman world and was one of the most wealthy cities in the whole empire. And the reason why was, in the winter, if you went sailing around the bottom of Greece, there were terrible storms in that area and that coastline is all craggy. And a lot of ships ended up shipwrecked there. But the city of Corinth did this amazing thing. Over the length of those five miles where there's now the Corinth Canal, they actually set up a series of huge rollers. Just think like a conveyor belt that's all rollers for five miles. And in the winter, ships would come into the inlet on one side. And they would grab those ships and lift them up out of the water. They were flat bottom. And they literally would drag them across the rollers for five miles and then put them back in the water. Kind of like a Panama Canal except on land. And they would go the opposite direction. As a result of that, Corinth became a port where ships as they were passing through would pick up cargo and they would leave off cargo, and Corinth became a major, if not the major, trading area of the Roman Empire. And people flocked to it, much the way people would flock to New York or to Los Angeles or Chicago. They came seeking their fame and fortune, and so you not only had Greeks, but you had people from Egypt and what's now Spain or France or the Italian peninsula or what's now Turkey, or Jews coming from the Middle East, or people coming from far and wide. And it's in this context that they started this early Christian church. And you can imagine, you have got these people who have been successful, and they all have opinions and ideas on what the church should be and what the church should do. And what do you think happened? Kind of like today, they had conflict, not, not just in the church, but the whole area. And so somebody has written to Paul to say, look, we've got all this conflict. How do we get over this conflict? We've got slaves who are lifted up in the church, but their masters want to crush them down. 
We've got Greeks who are saying, this is the way we should do worship. We've got Jews who are saying, this is the way we should do worship. There are people coming from other religions saying, this is the way we should do it. What are we supposed to do? And Paul basically says, this is the answer. You all are the body of Christ. You have to find a way to work together. You have to put at the core of your church a sense of humility where the people on top are committed to lifting up those on the bottom and cherishing them. And those on the bottom are willing to support those on the top where every part of the church sees value in each other. Times haven't changed that much. We live in a whole culture that is very much like the Corinthians. We live in a culture of competition and conflict fed by cable news that makes money from us being angry and bitter and seeing each other not as friends but as enemies. We live in this age of individualism that kills community and moves us away from Paul's vision, but even Jesus' vision. Jesus, who is constantly reaching out to the Samaritan woman at the well, to, to the Syrophoenician woman, to the Canaanite woman, to the centurion and his servant, someone who's always finding ways to reach out to people who are different and bring them together. The tragedy of our culture is that often we see each other as enemies, especially if we think of them as friends, but we see what they post on Facebook and then decide we can't stand them anymore, which is a good reason not to linger too long on Facebook. And it's so at odds with the early church. Over the years, I've learned some fantastic lessons about how to create community, how to build up. And I'll tell you, they're, they're rooted in Scripture, but I've had some other experiences that really shaped them. Some of you will recognize this. This is a lacrosse stick. Actually, in the first surface, it slipped out, and I almost beamed somebody in the front row with the ball. Now, I grew up a little ways over there, and I grew up playing lacrosse down here. And I learned some really important lessons about how to be a body from lacrosse. And let me share with you some of the insights. Number one, I need to tell you this. This is not a brag. This is just fact. This hand, this side of my body, incredibly coordinated. I feel like I can do anything with my right side of the body. This side of the body, I am a complete klutz. I am awful. I played soccer in high school, and, and, you know, everybody passed me by because they could all kick with their left. I can boom a ball with my right. I can't even kick it to you, Chris, accurately with my left. And I have to spend five minutes trying to figure out how to do it. I, there's sort of a joke in our family that I have a tendency to drop glasses and dishes and break them. And it's almost always when I do it with my left hand. It's, they, they're sort of used to hearing a crash and then me going, oops, and them going, oh, yeah, Dad, dry hands, right? But it's really because I grab things with my left. It, it's amazing. And here's the thing. I'm really coordinated here. But over here, I'm not. And yet, these two hands work together. 
And that's sort of the thing that has been really amazing as I've learned in playing lacrosse. I can't do that stuff over here. I can do a little bit, but not very well. But even there, I can feel this hand doing its best to support this if I have to do this. And over here, I can feel this hand supporting here. It's not a question of which one's more important. It's a question of how well will they work together. Because that's what matters. It's not how coordinated, how talented, how good. It's how well do they work together. The other lesson I got from playing lacrosse is I was privileged as a freshman in college at Roanoke College in Virginia to play on a national championship team. Never had an experience before like that, never had one after. We are Division II, three. We beat Hobart up at Hobart. Um, and we are number one in Division two and three, and in Division all the divisions, we finished ranked number four behind Johns Hopkins, Maryland, and Cornell. And that's amazing for a school of only 1,200 students. But what I learned from that team is we had some incredible stars. But on that team, nobody treated themselves as stars. That one team, it didn't matter whether you were a star or you were someone like me who was a freshman more comfortable sitting on the bench than being out there. Everybody had a role. Everybody had a purpose. A few months ago, I was at a dinner down in Roanoke with the whole team, and I was sitting next to a teammate of mine, Joe Brown, who was a senior, and he was talking about that, and he was saying to me, Graham, you know, I know, I didn't even know you that well, but he said, I remember when you were in practices, how hard you were working to try to make the team better. And he said, I value that in the same way I value everybody else. And that's something that was special too. It's that ability to see everyone as important. Not to have stars and a collection of stars, but a team that knows how to work together. This gave me an insight into what Paul's talking about. Because basically he's saying it doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or poor. It doesn't matter whether you're influential or not influential. It doesn't matter whether you serve on the board or serve in the kitchen or serve by putting salt on the sidewalk. You have a part in this community. And Paul understood that for a church to be healthy, it can't have stars. It has to be a community of servants of people who recognize it doesn't matter what I have or what I contribute. It matters how well we serve together. Because here's a fact. Stars damage churches. I've seen it in the laity, and I've seen it in pastors. A few years ago, I was asked by a church in the Pittsburgh area to consult with them on how to create a board that was more prayerful and would listen to God better in its decision-making. I was with them for an hour and a half doing the training and then a half an hour of answers and questions. And sadly, I got a call from the pastor the week later, and he said, it was wonderful, Graham, but he said, our most influential elder and our biggest giver, after you left, said to the board... If you do this, I will quit the session and take my money with you. I've seen it where people can assert their vision instead of Christ's vision and tear things apart. But I've also seen it with pastors 
who come in and say, and fortunately Derek is not one of these pastors, and I know Derek well enough to know he will never be one of these pastors, but I've seen it where they've come in and they've said, I've got this vision, you must fill it, and if you don't, the criticism will continue until your energy gets better. But it doesn't work that way. Stars kill churches. Servants build them up. I have seen this throughout the churches. The healthiest churches are the ones where the members value everybody. And they let everybody have their role. They help the pastors when they can. They support pastors in the way they can. The pastors cherish their members. And people are in worship together and see each other as having importance not just for the function of the church, but because God loves each and every one with an incredible love and wants us to work together. But the question is, especially for a lot, especially for people who, I'm not sure how I fit into this church. How can I be a servant that builds up the church? And I have a great insight from this. Now, you all can't see what this is. But this is the last piece in a jigsaw puzzle my wife Diane over there and I have been putting together almost since Christmas. We de- she decided that it would be good for us as a winter activity to do thousand piece puzzles. And the first two were great and then she got one of the Mandalorian with Baby Yoda and if you don't know what I'm talking about, it doesn't really matter. Here's all you need to know. It's got the Mandalorian, Baby Yoda, and a bunch of gray in the background. And all the pieces of this jigsaw puzzle look almost identical. It took us until yesterday. This is the last piece that Diane generously let me put in the puzzle. And to complete it. But this thing frustrated us. But like a jigsaw. You know, sometimes we have to twist ourselves around. Sometimes we have to just try this or try that. And the question really in the end becomes, but we have to work to find where we fit. We can't just wait for someone to tell us where we fit. We have to be willing to do the work. We live in a culture where instead of putting together a jigsaw community, we'd rather throw cherry bombs. But this is what Christ calls us to. To be people who are constantly asking in prayer, God, how do I fit in? Where can I serve? What can I do? And of of working, not waiting for someone to ask, but of seeking, how and where can I serve? All of us here together, everybody not only here sitting, but everybody watching, you are a part of the body. Whether you feel you're part of the body or not, all of us, We are God's hands, and we are God's feet, and we are God's eyes, and we are God's ears, and we are God's mouths, and and knees, and feet, and maybe sometimes even bums. I don't know. But we are there. God, God serves through us. God works through us. And we are called to be part of this body that serves not only here in the church, But when you go out, that serves everywhere you are, in your home, in your work, in a store, in a club, in a class, wherever you are, 
you're still God's servant and still part of God's body as you're there. You're not only called to serve God here and be part of that body. You're called to serve God everywhere. So I want you to reflect on this. And you may already have an answer, although I will tell you, serving in the church, serving in the body, doesn't always mean doing the same thing. Some of the greatest servants have been elders and servers, have been fixers or doers or teachers, and they shift and change over time. But I want you to reflect on this, whether you're someone whose service is to give, whether time or effort or money, or called to do something else, to ask this question, God, how are you calling me to serve this body here and there and everywhere? Amen and amen.